All right, everybody. So today we have another Q&A with myself and Abel Jabai. How are you doing, Abel? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. You know, we were saying that it's been a little while since we connected live. I think on social media, it's time kind of, it just blends all together when you're like messaging on Instagram and you see other like avenues that people are online or you watch each other's videos and it, you kind of realize like how long it's been since we connected. So it's actually been a couple months yeah. since the last Q&A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been too long. And uh, we also d did the um, roundtable, Cutter Bulk Roundtable, which, mm -hmm. um, yeah, probably we owe a second round to all the people that submitted pictures about yeah, that yeah. as well. Um, it's just a bit because we it was the three of us doing it. So it's a little bit more cumbersome to get it under the roof. So yeah, but yeah, we should do these more often. Yeah. So I want to start off with a little shout out um, to user is John D. Um, and so he is a recent, I guess, member of the podcast here of the YouTube channel. So this is a function that I don't really see many people utilize and, and I didn't utilize it much either. It's just a way to help support the channel. Um, so level one member, I mean, you can read about it. There's a link below and you know, it's a couple of dollars per month. It helps support the channel. As most of you watching this know, the channel does it's kind of like a closed loop with the charity donations, right? So every podcast there's a charity donation. Uh, and that money basically just comes from myself. So when people are members or anything like that, it does help out. So we appreciate that, John. Um, and certainly for the future, you know, anybody who sends a question for these Q and A's, the members would probably get priority there as well. So thank you, John. So Abel, you and I were talking about um, tracking calories. And this is something that I actually brought up with Eric Helms and Eric Trexler, probably Geez, I think that was the very start of 2020, I want to say. Yeah, I remember that podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so we were just talking about how I was really impressed that I think both of them got like near contest lean without tracking calories, which is just like so foreign to me. And it, I can see it both ways, um, but I've just always tracked calories. I prefer that. So uh, before I get into my reasoning, why don't you just tell us, Abel, like when do you in a diet start to track your calories and why? Yeah, so I usually go for as long as I can without tracking. And um, basically the point where I do start tracking things is when I feel like I'm getting close to that point where my body is kind of kind of as lean as it would get by just modifying behaviors and maybe i can i could still get leaner than that but things are starting to feel a little bit uncomfortable and i'm just not trusting myself at that point that just by eating satiating foods and having regular meal times and being reasonably physically active i will still be in a deficit because i'm like man, like I, I could easily eat quite a lot of even veggies and lean protein. Like I really enjoy eating these meals at that point because I'm mm -hmm. lean enough to where my appetite has kind of expanded. So I'm not trusting myself fully. So if I'm going to still kind of be in the mindset of like trying to kind of under eat a bit, then I might as well make sure that it works at this point. So at that point, I, I start tracking. And, and for me, usually that is kind of at the point where I have a very solid six pack. Um, and so like wh when I got like photo shoot ready lean, I remember that was around like maybe 82 kilos or so. So like, like clo close ish to 10%, maybe not quite there yet this time. Yeah. Like a little bit heavier, but, but also around that point. So I, I looked pretty lean already. 
Like I remember I already posted a picture on Instagram, like, yeah, this is where I'm at. I yeah. look pretty good. Um, and at that point, like, so I didn't track like daily this time. I kind of just put together a meal plan and, and sort of similar to how Trexler and Eric did it. They were like just kind of quantitatively or uh, qualitatively modifying something. So like switching up some food sources and whatever. So I was doing it more so like that this time, but it was, it, it, we might as well call it tracking because everything was very standardized. So yeah. not very much variation day to day. So kind of that's how I go about it. Yeah. Well, and that's an important point because I, I think it's probably tough if you one, don't have a lot of experience and two, eat a large variety of foods every day. Um, yeah. I think the more that you're just consistent with what you eat, it's probably pretty easy to say, okay, well, I'm maintaining on this. I'm going to take away a tablespoon of peanut butter. I'm going to take away that extra olive oil or, you know, that bowl of oatmeal. Um, and then that I think does make it very easy. The reason I do it so early, uh, a couple of things. I mean, for one, I think, so there's that generally, I think most people recognize that there's kind of like a maintenance range, right? So like, just because you're maintaining on 3000 doesn't mean you wouldn't also maintain almost the exact same weight on like 3,200, 2,800, like your body has an initial adaptation period. Um, but also I just have like, my body just seems to hold water like immediately upon dieting. And so while I could do it, I just find it very frustrating. I mean, maybe like the first five pounds, I won't. I also just like, I have a lot of data. So I, I track calories and weight daily, even when I'm bulking. Like that's just something I like to do. It's not something I recommend. And I understand why not everybody would want to track forever. I think I just got in the habit so, so young, like again, 12, 13 years old, that it, it, it's like zero stress to me. It's zero effort. Whereas some people, like they're really like, I'll have a new client who's like, I cannot track calories. I don't want to live like that. It's like a huge burden to them. And to me, I think for me, the net stress of not knowing how much I'm eating and seeing the scale not go down is more than the almost like non-existent stress of just tracking the calories. Um, and, and like, for example, I was recently up to about 198. I'm going down to 190, kind of like a mini cut, if you want to call it that. Not, you know, for like just, I think it's going to be slightly healthier. I think it's going to help with some of the goals I have, but I could easily do that without like too much effort. So I recently went down to 2,200 calories. Now I've only been doing that four days now. And well, I didn't start at 190. I got a little bit lower. So anyway, I've gone down in the last like week or so down to 195. Well, today after 2,200 calories, I'm at 196 today. Hmm. I would just think now I'm hungry. Um, I, I'm, I would just think like, did I eat too much yesterday? Like how much? And that's maybe like a little bit of OCD on my end. But the point is like, I know 2200 calories is going to give me like, there's not a question about it in my mind. So I just like there's just less stress, but I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong. I think that it's almost become this thing of like, you shouldn't track calories at all, or you shouldn't do this. And like, it's like this goal people have, and that's fine. I just don't think there's anything wrong with it. And I think it's just whatever makes your life easier. There's a million different ways to do it. So that's kind of how I view it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I also, my philosophy on that whole thing changed a lot over time. So when I gave up calorie tracking at like three, I know, like four years ago at this point, and then I sort of became a bit of, I oversold or became a little bit overly confident about the the benefits of not tracking and, and then also maybe over emphasizing the downsides of tracking. Uh, one, because I was basing it off of my experience, but then also just my take on it wasn't nuanced enough. 
And now I pretty much think the same thing that as what Eric Helms has told you, I think on that podcast that you referenced that like, I, I don't have anything against someone maintaining tracking for the rest of their lives. Like I, Lane Norton, pretty much, I think he is tracking pretty much irrespective of his goals day to day. And he has been doing that for over a decade now. Mm -hmm. And there is no issue with that. But probably if you ask Lane, like, okay, what would happen? What do you think would happen if you stop tracking? I don't think he would tell you that, well, I would balloon up. Like I I would immediately start gaining fat. But because he has habits, he has he has all these routines that are really solidified. But if his response was that, well, I would get obese in two weeks, that would be an issue because that would mean that, okay, like all that time spent tracking was not enough to teach you anything. Right, so I think right. there is an issue with that. And like, yeah, in the long term, tracking definitely kind of stresses me out. Like I, I like to have the freedom to kind of just sit down and eat and not worry about like, okay, one, one more bite of this means one less bite later in the day or something right. like that. But for brief periods, that's, that's totally fine. And, and like you said, at a certain point, I would also start second guessing myself. And, um, and when I got photo shoot lean, for example, initially I had the plan of doing the whole thing without tracking. And the point where I did start tracking was when my scale weight sort of didn't go down for a while. And I was already pretty lean. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I'm retaining a bit more water, this and that. Like the scale is not the end all be all. Mm -hmm. And then one day I, or on a few days, I backtracked my calories. Like, okay, how much am I actually eating? Let's just see. And it came out to like 27, 2800 calories. Mm. And it's like, ah, okay. So like, that's why I'm not dropping weight. Like I cannot lose at this point on that many calories. So it's like, okay, so it will take me until a certain distance from then on. I either have to be like a lot more restricted with my food choices or something, or it's just easier to track. And then, as you said, so on that way down to that point, do you find that you are losing fairly linearly? Because I will say I do seem to have more fluctuations than the average person in my experience. Like, you know, literally could be either, two weeks of like not dropping, even though I know I have to be in a deficit or even gaining at times. And then they'll just be like this sudden whoosh. Yeah. I'm a pretty good responder to the scale. Uh, I would say, yeah, maybe, maybe less so now. So I, I, I did see a bit of a shift in that as the years have gone by, mm. but yeah, usually as I, as, as I start dieting, like I wouldn't even have to use cal- calipers necessarily. Okay. Like it's uh, it's, it's week to week. It's, very predictably lower and lower. So, so that, that's another thing. So if I was like you, um, and, and I think you even said that sometimes even like calipers can be like funky for you, like, because well, I have, rate- yeah, I mean, in theory, calipers should be one of the least affected by water weight. And if you hold it down for a little bit and let it kind of like squeeze the water out. I mean, I remember talking about this with Eric as well. And we were saying like, you know, you'll put it in and then you'll see it squeeze down. And I noticed that like I do my thigh measurement or my chest and it's mostly just like there. And then I'll do abs and it'll go there and then it'll go. (laughs) And I'll just like, I don't know. I just seem particularly squishy. And I've always had like, I remember, I'll always remember being at the beach with my friends. This is 2014. And I remember looking as lean as like my friends who were fatter at the time and having way lower calipers and looking way fatter than my brother at the time and having the same calipers. And so I don't know if I just 
like I said, hold water a lot. I mean, I know I do hold water a lot, but it's just like how it affects me. So um, again, but that's yeah. something that's pretty individual. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So let's talk about um, training with intent because I have actually had people mention that and it was good timing for this because I just sent you that post this morning. Uh, so I don't want to yeah. call any like specific people out, but <laughs> I have seen it. It's funny, right after I sent it to you, I saw somebody else post it who I was kind of surprised to post it. And I'm just seeing these people talk about how like, you know, the most important factor, literally one of the person that the most important factor is training with intent. And like, I do not get where this is coming from with people where it's like, I mean, it goes back to like, you know, you see the seventies bodybuilders that talk about, you know, this is how you have to do this. And this is a, you know, the focus on the muscle. And I'm not saying that doesn't matter. I think even Brad Schoenfeld has shown that there was a little bit more EMG activity. I, I think that's what it was when people like really concentrated on the muscle. But yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there's something to be said for, Hey, have good form, make sure that that muscle is actually working. But some of these posts, people make it sound like it's like, this is the reason that you're not as big as me, or this is the difference between you and me. I train like a machine. Every rep has intent and focus. And it's just like, oh my God, like it's just, it's so ridiculous. And of course, with anything like that, that person could come back and say, well, how big are you? How big am I, right? Look how much bigger I am than you. But it's like, when you have so many counter examples, I think it's hard to understand how anybody can be so extreme when other people have achieved what you've done without doing that, right? Like, it's weird for somebody to say, well, look, I am a fat burning machine because I eat no carbs. And it's like, okay, but you have millions of other people who have used the opposite of what you do and they're just as lean, right? And so with this, like anybody making this post, well, there's powerlifters who absolutely smoke you even from an overall muscle mass standpoint, right? Are they focusing on their, you know, back when they're just doing their rows or branch Warren, right? It's always a classic example of bodybuilders with like absolutely horrendous form. Uh, you know, I can go on yeah. and on, but anyway, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I, I would also, I would, I would say that that's actually one of the le le like not, not least important, but out of the things that we could argue how important it, they are, so volume, intensity of effort, um, using an actual intensity. So like proximity or percentage of one RM that is appropriate. And then technical execution. And of course, for like actually ensuring that there is progression. Like out of, out of those things, it's, it's, it, it would be one of the least important, I would say. Yeah. Um, like, like one thing I can tell just anecdotally is that I do notice that whenever I venture into some higher volume stuff, just, you know, experimentation, I did it recently. So I had some issues which forced me to take some time off of lower body training. So I was like, okay, I'm going to use this as a time to hammer my upper body quite a lot. So I upped my weekly set volumes and I definitely noticed that it was, um, it was just a lot harder to, to like really approach the sets with intent. It's no really better way of saying it. And I was hitting a lot, lot less PRs, but, and I almost felt like that in, intentionality just wasn't there like during each set. So like I was not going for those last reps, which, which otherwise I probably could have gotten. And I don't know how much that adds up to in terms of actual results and how much muscle you can gain and stuff. But now I definitely noticed it, that I dropped my volume back a lot and maybe 
it doesn't actually make a difference. It's just that my training is more enjoyable, but I'm hitting a lot more PRs. Um, and, and I don't think it's because I'm actually strong. I don't even think it's because I dropped fatigue and now I'm peaking my strength. It's just that I have that drive to go for that last rep and I grind it out. I hit a PR and that feels nice, you yeah. know? So, but, but, but like, yeah, like kind of positing that as this complete game changer, it's kind of cringy. Like, yeah, that post that you sent me, I was like rolling my eyes quite a lot. Yeah, that was bad, man. That, that was, uh, yeah. But, and, and one other thing I would just say though, is like, sometimes I'll see them comment it, like it makes them a warrior and it makes them like, you know, like as if they're pushing harder. And one thing I, I've actually not made a post on this, but one thing I would say is that I find that using good form is easier now, what, let me, because people might hear that and say, like, what are you talking about? Because you can obviously use more weight. So let's say you pick, let's say I'm doing curls and I pick 40 pound dumbbells. Obviously, if I'm sticking with a certain weight, then yes, cheating is going to be way easier than strict form. Of course, it's the same weight. So I'm using momentum. But if I cheat, I could use, let's say 60 pounds, right? And there was a period where I was just getting heavier and heavier with dumbbells and I'm like kind of lunging into it. Right. Or I used to do barbell curls with 135 pounds. Right. And just kind of like put everything into it. That was way harder overall physically compared to when I cut the weight in half and just focus on my bicep. Now that latter one is probably better. Right. But I'm, I'm just saying it's, if you're just talking about how hard it was, it was actually way harder to do that. Same thing with pull-ups. If I say, okay, I'm just going to all out crank out the pull-ups as much as possible. I get 25 plus reps. That set to me is significantly harder overall than if I say, okay, slow form, slow contraction, all that stuff, you know, 12 to 15 yeah. reps. Um, so again, I'm not saying to train like that, to train ballistically, but as far as like how hard it actually is, I find it way easier to train with better form. Yeah. I mean, that brings up the, so there was like one post, I think that I sent you like three times, maybe, um, but probably okay. because you like, you never really reacted to it. But, uh, you know, I told you that um, some of these videos that I see of some people where like the form is so pristine and like the movement is so controlled and, and I almost feel like there is an opportunity cost with that. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're, you're trying to make it so pretty and like, so mind muscle connectiony and whatever that it's like, man, like, let me see some freaking effort there. Right, like right. it's, 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 there is no way you can actually like proper, properly exert yourself if you're trying to keep it that pristine. And like, sometimes even the setups that I see, like you set yourself up in a way where like, you're not even stable, but you're able to still execute it that mm -hmm. way. Cause like, you're trying to make it so pretty that you cannot yeah. use larger weights anyway. So like, oh, of know, course there's what, there... about. what video you're talking about. I was just thinking like, okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's like, um, of course, you know, there is probably a sweet spot. So yeah, you don't want to completely butcher an exercise. Cause then you're actually like, you're exposing yourself to more injury or not hitting the muscle groups that you actually want to hit properly. So of course there, you shouldn't be just going for the largest weights you can possibly move, but I feel like there is kind of a middle ground where like, okay, are you actually sacrificing the effectiveness of your training because you're just cannot exer exert yourself properly? I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I know there was a whole thing with like Ian McCarthy back in the day. Right. And like, 
a lot of people yeah. hated on him. I remember like Jason Blaha like saying like, you know, you've been training for like six years, you're still squatting like 135. And I don't know, Ian, I never talked to him, but like it did seem like like there's I don't I just don't know anybody who's put on appreciable size who just has like perfect form with like just like the lighter weight, squeezing the muscle all the time. Like almost everybody I know has had periods where they're just getting really strong and they're just moving that weight. You know, I, I can't really think of any counter examples. Yeah. Um, do you know anybody who trains like six reps shy of failure all the time and <laughs> has gotten big? Yeah. Zero people that I can think of, uh, which I, I'll yeah. admit um, part of that is just because like a practicality thing, like nobody's going to do that. I'm sure if you took, you know, Ronnie Coleman or any genetic freak and they, they did train like that. And they did enough volume with like I don't know, six RAR is a lot, but like four yeah. RAR, I, I'm sure you could get pretty big. Um, yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I still think that, you know, to a point, like you're just not going to see the adaptations. Um, but I can't sit here and tell you that like we have clear evidence of that. Right. I think it's just like when you look at like the world around you, <laughs> it becomes yeah. kind of obvious. Yeah, that, 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 that's one of those things, honestly. We can move on, just like one last comment. Like, mm -hmm. that, that's one of those things where I sort of feel where like the Greg Doucette type guys are coming from. Like when I see someone saying like, it's, it's one thing to say that, okay, four, five, and six reps in reserve. So being seven reps away from failure, that is already going to do something. That's mm -hmm. one thing to say, yeah. but that that is equally effective as doing all the reps that you can in a set. So zero reps in reserve, let's say like that to me is like, yeah. there might actually be really well designed studies that show that, but I'm like, I don't know. I call bullshit <laughs> on that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Eric wrote in, Hey Dave, love your podcast, especially your talks with Abel. Just a question regarding training programs, as I know you have experience with pretty much every program out there. Honestly, how much of a difference is there? Uh, I've been doing full body sessions every day for years after coaching with Bergay and Minnow. Um, basically, he says he's considering going to push-pull leg split and just wants to know if there's any benefits. So um, do you want to start off, Abel? You want me to go? Um, you can go first. Okay. So um, I was talking with um, this guy, Matt Terry, yesterday. So that will, if you're watching this, that probably came out last week. And we were talking about like, you know, how training splits aren't really talked about as much anymore. And I think that's probably a good thing. Like it used to be the case. It was like, what's the best split? And it's like, well, you know, should you do chest back, then shoulders and then arms and legs, you know, there's like so many different splits and it was like, you know, this one's better. And like, honestly, I feel like it makes almost no difference. Like once you get into, and you know, obviously there's caveats to that, um, because I think now what most people are looking at, at least most people in like this community, look at the variables themselves. So what is your frequency? What is your volume? What's your intensity? I think most people now kind of understand that it's not a huge difference if you're doing, again, like if chest is with back and then, you know, that's like a kind of common split and then legs and then like arms and shoulders versus just like a push pull legs. Like Sure, you can make the argument that like, oh, well, in that first one, your arms are more fresh compared to if you did like biceps after back or triceps after shoulders. But the point is like that really doesn't matter much, especially from a hypertrophy standpoint, long term. It's like whatever I think you are comfortable with is fine as long as you're focusing on that progression. And then obviously, if you're looking at the extremes, then there's probably a difference, right? If you're training a body part one time per week with like no crossover at all, meaning like 
you're, you're truly just doing push pull legs once a week. So it's actually once a week versus, you know, in the other example I gave you're there, you're kind of getting twice a week for some of those muscles, right. Cause of the crossover. I think almost all of the evidence points to one time per week, not being ideal, but of course there's plenty of people who have gotten massive doing that. And I think seven times a week, I know you've done some of that able, like I would just think that's probably not the best, but like, I think you've had good experience with it. Um, certainly in like Olympic lifting and Bulgarian training and stuff like that. Uh, they do super high frequencies. So, um, basically I think for variety for like, just like psychologically, just enjoying it more, there's a benefit to switching things up. Um, but I think if you're doing, let's say full body three times a week and you want to change like a pushable legs or an upper lower, where each is getting hit twice a week. If all other variables were constant, meaning like number of hard sets probably being the most important, I think your results are going to be pretty similar. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree at this point. So there was, you know, in the early days of high frequency training becoming uh, more, a bit more popular and research was a bit more scarce than it is now. Then there were some kind of um, hypothetical avenues through which higher frequency training could actually be better even if we equate for volume and, and all of those other factors. I think there is one thing which I'm still going back and forth on, which is, okay, if you're training more frequently, like let's say you do, you have a leg day or you do upper lower and you would do say squats, hack squats, and then leg extensions in the same session versus splitting all of those three into like th three separate days. Um, then your repetition counts. So your volume load would be more. And that's, that's one thing that they often talk about that. Okay. Like then that should over time add up to something because you're stronger. So you're lifting more weight or you're doing more reps with the same weight. And I'm always going back and forth on that in my head. Like, does that really matter? Cause I mean, basically what your mu muscles respond to is acute fatigue. So does it really matter if you're only getting whatever 10 reps with a given weight or 12 or whatever you like, you're using slightly less weight as long as it's not like below your 30% one RM or something like that. So I don't even know if that matters. So I would be inclined to say that it probably all comes out to the same place. The only benefit of higher frequency training is that if you're, if you would like to experiment with higher volumes, especially like real high volumes, like, you know, 20 sets and over, especially like when you approach like 30 sets, like that's much tougher to get in if you're training a muscle group, say only twice a week. Um, but yeah. I, I think like none of us are a big fan of that. <laughs> so it, it's kind of in, irrelevant uh, for most of the programs that we put together. And the only thing I will say, and this is just like a very personal anecdote, is that I've actually played around with a lot of different splits in the past year. So my exercise selection and my volume remained the same for the most part, but I played around with full body. Most of the time it was full body, but I played around with some upper lower. And recently I wanted to do a push pull leg split just for changing things up and making mm -hmm. it a bit more fun. And the only reason why I stopped it and I returned to basically full body 
is because I'm just super annoyed when I come to the gym and I want to do a push workout and like three of the extra, the, the exercises that I want to do, you know, the equipment is taken up mm. and I'm like, God damn it. Like, what do I do now? Whereas when I do full body, then I can just move on to something else, which is right. not taken up. So it's like a purely a logistical consideration, but that's kind of one reason why I do like full body. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I really like to do, um, I alternate like pretty much always. So, well, actually, let me first ask you, I know you said you, you really didn't like having like an all legs day. Was that one of the reasons or did you kind of get used to that? So, so interestingly, that's, that's one thing that I kept now from the push pull leg setup that, um, I do like to do like all my quad work, uh, or like, so basically I train quads and hamstrings twice a week now. Um, so I, I have like two days when I do quads and two days when I do hamstrings. Cause like once I, so like my knees really do take some time to kind of warm up. Mm-hmm. So, so they are kind of like janky. And even if I just do like leg extensions, even on the first sets, like, like they will feel kind of awkward. So once my knees are warmed up, like I actually want to do like a decent number of sets and like get some exercises out of the way. So that, that's actually one thing that I kept up from that, like yeah. push pull leg setup. So I sort of reverse my stance on that, that a little bit. Like it's uh, once I train legs, it's, it's, it's good to like get some shit out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, it's something that I've, I've changed my mind a little bit on in terms of like, not how I've actually trained, but how I think is ideal. So um, one thing I was going to say before is that I, I like to alternate back and forth because for me, if I'm doing my workouts take way longer than they should, honestly, like I, I rest <laughs> a long time, but mm-hmm. I will do like, I'll do overhead press and I'll superset each set with pull-ups and I'll do bench and I'll superset each set with rows. And I just find it way more efficient. Like if I was doing with how long I rest between sets, if I was doing like just overhead press and then just bench press and then like taking that time, it would take me forever to get through anything. Um, so part yeah. of it's just practical, even on legs, like I'll al- alternate uh, leg extension with leg curl. Right. And then like different things. Yeah. Like that. Um, but I, I still do usually like twice per week frequency as far as the evidence we have most people, well, anecdotal and also just the actual studies we have show that like above two to three times a week doesn't really seem to be superior. I do have an acquaintance who I talked to quite a bit who, um, we were saying like years back, he was doing the one time per week body part split. And I was saying like, why wouldn't like all the evidence shows that you could get better results with two or three times a week? Like, why don't you do that? And, you know, he's got a pretty strong background in, um, I guess like joint health and like orthopedic stuff like that. And he was saying how, well, long-term, I don't think it's going to really matter. And he also looks at like joint integrity and things like that. So he basically feels that ultimately you're not going to get much better but you are going to potentially cause issues to like tendons and ligaments. And, and I don't know if that is really going to happen much if your volume is normalized or if it's like the same volume either way, but I could see, I mean, certainly there are people, especially like from like endurance aspect, people who like run a lot will say that if they're like running every day, even if it's the same amount of volume, just like the banging on like their, their uh, knees and, and feet and everything kind of accumulate more. So Ultimately, I've kind of changed my stance that like it matters that much long term. Now, also, this individual has some of that crossover, right? So I forget their exact split, but there is some crossover. So some things could hit more than once per week. Um, but I, I really think that it's not a huge difference. You did mention that, like the, the 20 set thing. That is one thing I would wonder is that 
from a practicality standpoint, I, I don't almost know anybody, even like professionals now who do that much. I don't really follow too many pros, but I don't follow that many who do like 20 plus in a single workout of a body part. Um, we'll say you're going to yeah. say something. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I, I, I was just like uh, thinking as you're speaking, but I mean, uh, I have heard of like a, f- a fair amount actually, but then, then again, like was, is that like sets that we are talking about where like similarly intense right. or is it like a lot of them were ramp up sets? Yeah, but- exactly. Um, which is obviously a big point too. I, I think in most of those cases, they're usually actually just doing a couple top sets per like exercise. Um, and there was one other point I was going to make there. Oh, also just that something I've seen brought up and I don't know if there's any evidence to this. And we, we talked about this briefly before Abel is that the idea that like, does there need to be a minimum amount per workout? Is um, one set enough per, per session for example? Basically, to do yeah. Which I, I get where that thought comes from. Um, but I've never seen any actual evidence to support that, you know, in theory, you could say it's better because you're fresh every day. Um, and yeah. when you look at people who, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll talk about people who like they're based on their job, right. They gained a lot of muscle because of like their job where it's like, they're doing something like every single day. Although obviously that's a lot more volume than just one set, but yeah, I, I don't know if, if it would be interesting to actually see that. Um, I don't think there's any research on that. Um, but I think from what you've talked about, you've done chest like five, six, seven days a week in the past, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I do like, like right now, I on most of my workouts. So like I train upper body pretty frequently. I do like two sets per muscle group uh, for my, like most of my upper body stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I even have one day, like I'm super flexible now. I, I do basically 10 sets uh, for most of my muscle groups um, or actually all of them. <laughs> and um I actually have days when I, I do one set, um, if that's how it comes out. Um, do so. you, and just for people listening, do you, how do you count your volume? Like, I, I'm sure you do some like leg pressing or, or things like that. Right. So you might do that on a quad day. Do you count that at all towards hamstrings or do you not count the overlap? Uh, so that I wouldn't count towards hamstrings, but, uh, for example, I do, uh, like, um, basically it's like a straight arm pull down. Um, Manuel had a write up about it, like the lap prayer. Like I, I've been doing that um, exercise for for years at this point, and that I do count, for example, as a full on set for for my triceps, okay? Because it get get gets hit very heavily. A chin up, I would count as a full set towards biceps, okay. and then um, so for like rear delts, like separate rear delt work, I do like four sets because like like basically like. Uh, all the chin-ups and pull-ups and all of that, I would count at least like half a set, legit set for rear delts. Gotcha. So, so yeah, I, I do count things like that. What, what other example? Um, but yeah, like my, if, if you look at my log, I'm just going to pull it up like real quick now just to, I actually made a post about this on Instagram the other day, but so these are my muscle groups. So quads, 10 sets, hams, 10 sets, triceps, uh, six sets, because like I count other stuff lateral delts, six sets. And then I have like traps, six sets, but then I have delts and traps. So I, an overhead press, I would count as, as a set for my upper traps as well. And then I have lats and triceps. So like that, I have that category as well. Lats and biceps, that's another category. So it's, uh, yeah. I'm pretty meticulous with it. <laughs> cool. Cool. Um, so next question we have here from Ryan Maxwell, uh, it's kind of long, so I'm going to try to summarize it, but basically says he's not on TRT, 
but he said if somebody who had normal for his age test levels wanted to take TRT to enjoy life more, what difference does it make to anybody else? Why don't we just let people do what they want? Talks about all the benefits of it, better energy, strength, sex drive, lower body fat. You know, nobody needs any drugs, like in terms of like, we take stuff for headaches, we take stuff for all these different reasons. Um, and he just says, why don't we just let people kind of do that? So let's say at the bottom, um, if I wanted to trade a few years at the end of my life for feeling like 30 years old again, hell, even a 40 year old, who cares? Um, <laughs> so I think it's an interesting perspective. I, and I think I've made it pretty clear that I am totally fine with like anybody wanting to do whatever they want, really, as long as it doesn't harm anybody else. So, uh, and that doesn't just mean TRT. You can blast to the moon for all I care. It's just about like knowing the consequences, which most people really don't. Like, I mean, they really don't. Like even people who think they know what they, they're talking about. I see people say the most ridiculous things. Like when it was an area that I was like really looking into, I mean, I of course read like a lot of forums. Um, I read a lot of like posts and everything. I read a textbook on it. I, I mean, I would talk to like endocrinologists on it. And even then I look back at when I was like 20, 21 and like pretty highly informed. And there was still a lot I didn't know. Um, you know, if you want to get like political, you could talk about like some of these things of like um, gender transformations that people talk about with like six-year-old kids, right? That would be like an extreme example. But I see that I'm like, these are like life-changing things on somebody who really shouldn't be making these decisions, right? So a lot, you know, this is less extreme than that. But, you know, if you're 16, 18, 20 years old, and you're very concentrated on like how you feel like now and the results you're getting now, you can make decisions that really do impact you forever. Um, you know, I mean, there are people who get permanently shut down. Um, there are people who, you know, have a certain response that was unexpected that they have a lot of health issues from it. Uh, and so I just, my issue is, is just that a lot of people won't be informed. You know, they'll hear, I remember <laughs> one of my roommates was like on the wrestling team. And he was taking these pro hormones and he was like, Oh, I don't get any side effects from it. I feel great. And like, obviously he wasn't doing blood work. He wasn't doing anything. He just didn't feel like trash. So he, he thought it was totally fine. Um, I, I just think most people really aren't that well informed on it, but otherwise I'm, I'm totally in favor of it. you know, I, I'm not against TRT at all. I think um, people hype it up, right. To say that it's, it's like the nectar of the gods and all this. Well, I guess that would be more like trend, but um, but you know, people will hype it up and say that it's like, you know, I was just talking to a guy at my gym the other week and the dude is like almost 60. He's on TRT and he says himself, he's like, you know, I don't feel 20. I, I feel good. I mean, you know, I'm a little stronger. Sex is a little better, things like that. But it's, it's not this like magic serum. Um, it, it's just, it can be beneficial. And the evidence as, as of now shows that like legitimate TRT levels are probably fine. There are some studies that show increased risk of cardiovascular events. Of course, everybody on TRT and every bodybuilder likes to say that that study was flawed and only the studies that show good things are relevant, right? Um, I, I think really when you actually look at all of the data together, it shows that there are plenty of benefits, but you know they can be modest and there can be some potential risks as well, especially if you're not monitoring things. But um, so all that to say, I think it's fine. Yeah. I just want to say that um, I had a, a podcast episode recorded with Mike, which did not get published, unfortunately, because the audio was was absolutely atrocious. Mm. Uh, like, like it was so like I remember 
So when I listen back the what the whole talk, I can tell what we are talking about because I remember talking to him. But yeah. it's like <laughs> like that that that's all you can hear. And in the very beginning of that, I asked him, um, referring to one of the podcast episodes that I did with Sotak, uh, where he was saying that like yeah he he he's considering doing TRT. Because like if he could get his test levels up to like a constant, somewhat higher level, and then he could be productive each day and he wouldn't have to struggle with like the occasional brain fog and libido would be so much better and energy levels and this and that. And then like even then, like talking to him, I remember remember thinking like, man, like I'm pretty sure it's not that amazing. Like, Like some things I would definitely expect to be better. Like for example when I got down to my photo shoot condition, I would certainly expect to feel better, like to have some libido left or whatever, like, because, because my testosterone was tanked, like as, as per usual, like below the reference range. But, um, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not like taking NZT, like the limitless drug, right, you know? Right, right, yeah. And, and that's how I opened up the discussion with Mike. So like, Mike, tell us, like, are we over romanticizing this whole TRT thing a little bit? And he said, like, yeah, um, yeah, you are. <laughs> it's like some people really have a very positive response. Some people actually have a negative response. So they actually feel like more violent and emotionally less stable. So even that can happen. Yeah. And some people just feel kind of neutral, normal. So, yeah, no, I mean, I know plenty of people who don't. That, that's why one of the things I talked about with Matt Terry and I said, you know, he and Cornelius Parkin both said that they gained like literally like 20 pounds on TRT compared to fully natural, but these are like hyper responders, like fantastic genetics, right? I mean, like just like elite level. So that's not going to be your norm. I mean, I know plenty of people who go on TRT, they gain almost no muscle. Generally, almost everybody I know feels a little bit better. Like they feel more energy. Um, they have a little bit higher libido, stuff like that typically. But dude, I mean, if you're like a high aromatizer, you know, you go on TRT, you gain five pounds of water, you get gyno, and you don't really feel that much better. Like it, it, it could suck, you know? So um, definitely something to just be really informed and, and go to a doctor who even that's actually tough because you need to go to a doctor who's informed, right? Because I mean, literally like a lot of doctors know almost nothing about TRT, like truly like almost nothing. Um, but then on the other side of it, you have these doctors who are basically like steroid mills, right? Who will just like, I mean, like I said, I've mentioned one before who said nobody should be on less than 200 milligrams a week, which is just an absolutely ridiculous statement. Um, you know, there are people who will give you 500 milligrams and, and they're like, I, again, I don't know how they're not like shut down and losing their license. But so that's that you can't just say like, well, this guy deals with a lot of bodybuilders. So he knows what he's talking about. It's tough. You know, I think um, somebody who is maybe a little quirky but i think is you know a good guy means well and wants to help people is um anabolic doc or metabolic doc dr thomas o'connor uh, i don't agree with 100 percent of what he says i mean he said some things that i clearly do disagree with but on the whole like i think if you were to go to him or follow his information you're you're going to be in generally good hands right he clearly says that like not a lot of people should be on it and it's a life decision um i, I think yeah, like I said, I, I think if you follow what he says, you're, you're not going to go too far astray. So he's somebody who I think people can look to for advice. Yeah, maybe just one thing that we could address, because I think in that question, there was like a like some small part about like how big of a, an advantage is it or something. Um, 
because that is something yeah. that I'm always surprised about. Just uh, like Berge Fagerli, for example, like he was on TRT before. We had a podcast on this and he was uh, on like 100 milligrams per week, which is like pretty standard TRT yeah. dose. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was, um, you know, so he's like six foot one, like 220 pounds, like very low teens or, or maybe even like, like a legit 10% body fat. And, um, I asked him like, what was the difference, you know, coming off versus being on that low dose. And he still lost like a good, like almost like 10 kilograms, you know, like 20, 22 pounds of of lean lean mass. And it's, it's pretty remarkable. Like, I, I mean, I know, I understand that. Okay. Like your levels are constant. If you have a bad night of sleep or you binge drink or whatever, they're not gonna, your test levels are not gonna tank. So there is an advantage, but like to, that it would be that big of a difference that that was kind of surprising for me to, to see. And he's not the only case study where that happened. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think it's good to see both sides of it because, you know, look, I mean, you can tell he's a big guy. I didn't realize he gained that much from it. Um, There are people, and I'm not saying the case for him, but there are people who they tell me what they gain on TRT or they're just on TRT. And I'm like, dude, like you're not just on TRT. And, and, plenty of people could be i'm just saying like there are examples where like i just i'm highly skeptical of it but yeah and again this goes all back to genetics right i know i talk about genetics all the time but like your genetic response your androgen receptor density all of these things are hugely important i mean i i have talked to numerous people and even trained people who have gone on trt and they see almost no change i mean genuinely almost no change and it's it's crazy but to have somebody like that gain 20 pounds of muscle is is kind of remarkable just to be clear like he didn't claim that he gained those just from trt like he did some some uh some cycles uh before it's just that he maintained that on just 100 milligrams you know and and he could maintain like only a fraction of that because i mean if he was on like let's say 300 milligrams year round and he Mm -hmm. came off that then it would like make a bit more intuitive sense that he would lose that much but okay. That, that's actually, yeah, that's a really important point, actually. I'm glad you mentioned that because that is totally the case. Um, I do see a lot of people who are skeptical of these guys who are like in their forties, like former bodybuilders. And they're saying there's no way they're maintaining, like they're just on TRT. People say that about like Greg Doucette. Yeah. I don't follow Greg Doucette enough to know, but I would believe I mean, like, I don't want to get into like specific calls, but I've seen people say like, there's no way he's just on that or he has to be on an AI and all these things like that. And it's like, dude, you cannot tell that. And, and this is somebody who like admittedly doesn't even know like bodybuilding, but like you can't tell that just from looking at somebody's skin. I think that's like so ridiculous that people say that. Um, but you look at somebody who had blasted for years and years, are they going to maintain peak size? Absolutely not. But like you can maintain a, a huge amount of your muscle if you blast it and then TRT, I mean, that's a lot of people's, as that idea becomes more popular, that's what a lot of people hope to do, right? They're like, well, I'm going to blast for five years and then I'm just going to maintain 20 pounds above my natural limit. And, you know, then they just stay on TRT, which like, I don't think that's an unreasonable thing to do. Um, that this is something that like, you know, you want to make your life. And I, I think like Dante Trudell has talked about that. He's still massive. I believe he's still on maybe what I would call like TRT plus, John Meadows is still huge. Like, you, know, you know how much John Meadows cares about his health now. The dude had a heart attack, is doing everything he can to maintain his health. I absolutely believe that he is on 100 milligrams per week, as he claims. And he is yeah. massive. Like, he's got to have, like, 30 pounds of muscle more than if he never touched anything. So, oh, yeah. uh, you know, so 
you mentioned that about Berge. Yeah, I, I consistently hear that over and over that what you can maintain on TRT afterwards is dramatically more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so good timing. Last question here by uh, Ryan Resser or Reeser. Um, I was listening to your most recent talk with Lyle. Uh, points brought up about rest pause got me thinking. Do you think rest pause slash mile reps are an effective and efficient way to train throughout a career? i.e. are they non-inferior to straight sets with long rests of three plus minutes? Um, additionally, do you think there's a better or worse rep range to use for the initial activation set? I'm familiar with mile reps using like 15 to 25 RM, uh, DC rest pause using like eight to 10 RM. All right. Uh, well, you've had more experience, I think, with mile reps than I have, right? Do you want to touch on that at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mile reps, the way that Berger Fagerli basically describes it is, or the protocol that he recommends these days is you do one activation set. Typically it's with slightly higher reps. So like at least 12 plus, and then you kind of auto-regulate your rest periods by taking like three to five deep breaths. So that would be, I think like maybe 15, 20 seconds. If you, if you count, I mean, it depends on like how tired you are and how right. deeply you're breathing. And then you do three to five reps in the next set, like that's your first like mile rep mini set. And then you keep repeating that until you can no longer get the amount of reps that you got in your first mini mile rep set. So let's say you did 15 reps in the activation set, then you get five, and then you again rest a little bit, and then you get five, five, and once you only get four or three, then you stop. So it like auto-regulates itself that way. That's mile reps. Yeah, and so, as far as like the question, do you think you could do that forever? I don't see any actual reason you couldn't. I, I think in general, people tend to like, it, it's unlikely that you're ever going to just do one thing throughout your entire career, right? Like you're going to try things, you know, after 10, 15, 20 years, you're going to have tried a lot of different things. I mean, there's a reason that I've done like essentially everything out there. Um, but I, I don't see any reason you couldn't. I mean, DC training is supposed to be like an advanced routine, but I remember like for the longest time, I just, I wasn't doing, I wasn't doing, I felt I wasn't advanced enough, but it's like, how, how do you really qualify advanced? Right. I mean, you know, if you're if it, yeah. extreme genetic response and you're benching 315 within like a year, are you now advanced enough to do it? Like I just wasn't as big as these like monsters doing it. So I was like, well, I'm not ready to do it. But the reality is like, I hit an advanced stage, which I think, um, I think Candido put like a really great uh, kind of like definition out there of like, he only looks at how, well you're able to progress because really if you're talking about advanced training that should for the most part be based on how advanced you are relative to your peak because that's going to influence like you know what variables you need to manipulate um so i did dc training and yeah i thought it was a fine routine i actually i really enjoy pushing myself really hard i really enjoy lower volume and i like you know being efficient with the workouts so dc training i thought was great but not everybody likes to train like that hard all the time uh, I think the difference between my reps, one of the big differences between my reps and DC training is that with my reps, not every set is to failure, right? Or no, is every set to failure? Well, you know, what, what do we define failure? I think right. it's like generally like zero RIR. So like you okay. get all the reps that you can in a set. Okay. Because so like something like muscle rounds, if anybody's familiar with Scott Stevenson's fortitude training, he has muscle rounds where you'll do like six, rest a little bit, six, rest a little bit until you like can't complete the set. Um, so only that last set or two 
is like really to failure. So you're accumulating volume. Um, I'm trying to blank, I'm blanking on, I guess you could call those like cluster sets are, are kind of similar, right? It's not the exact same thing, but it's yeah. like, you know, let's say you take like a five rep max. Like a lot of times you'll see this in like powerlifting, five rep max, but you do three, rest a little bit, do three, rest a little bit, do three. So you did nine reps with the five rep max because you rested a little bit in there. So it's like similar concepts. Um, with DC training, it's like all out as hard as you can, like to sort of like killing yourself weigh 15 breaths, which I call DC training, three separate sets. If you want to call it a rest pause that you can, it's just, you know, by the time, if you actually like time yourself and take 15 full breaths, that's like 40 seconds, 45 seconds almost. So, um, to me, those are three sets, but it doesn't matter whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I think it's, it would be fine to do that. Now I will say there is research showing that longer rests are beneficial compared to shorter rests. Um, I think there's actually been a couple of studies on this now, but showing that like full, like three plus minute rest was superior to like 60 seconds or less rest, um, which you could say is an argument against it. Again, long-term, I, I don't know if that would matter much, but that is one, I'd say legitimate argument that you could put against it. Yeah, it's, um, so if I was to, actually train like that still with the intent to still progress and, and put on muscle, then I would probably err towards something more like DC training or, or, or like muscle rounds rather than my reps, just because it's a bit more like I would be more confident in actually in the idea that it's comparable to just straight sets where you mm -hmm. rest like a regular period of time. Sorry, Berge, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, because that, that's always the challenge. Like, how do you compare rest, pause training, like in terms of volume, like how, like what's the equivalent if you were to do straight sets and, and it's obviously tough, but at least if you're doing something like, you know, 40 seconds of rest, mm -hmm. and then you're getting something like five, six reps in subsequent sets, then you can at least like compare them somewhat. And, you know, it's, um, as far as rest periods, the, the evidence is actually pretty mixed on that. Like some studies actually show that it, it just doesn't make much of a difference. There was that big uh, like Schoenfeld uh, meta-analysis, which, which did show that more rest is, is more beneficial. But then there is also a lot of positive research on drop sets and things like that. And I think basically if we aggregate the whole thing, we can relatively safely conclude that on big compound lifts where you accumulate a lot of cardio cardio metabolic fatigue probably resting for a really short period of time is not the best because then that whole like central fatigue thing could actually be a limiter because there i think there is evidence to show that if when you're cardiovascularly really tanked then that can actually induce central fatigue. So like muscle activation is actually worse. So on those, I probably would rest a little bit longer. Um, and I think a pretty good guideline is as long as you're getting like five, six reps per set, and as long as you don't have to drop the load so much that it would get below your fresh, like 30% 1RM, then those sets are pretty good. So I think as long as those things are in check, I think you could do pretty well with rest pause as a long-term thing. I would, I would personally not be comfortable doing that if I was say like an early intermediate lifter still being like super fired up to make all the gains that I can. Mm -hmm. Probably I would be like, 
I'm not sure. So I'm just going to go with like what most people did who got successful and, right. you know, on, on what like we have the most research on. Um, but that's kind of like just the perspective of a smart betting man, you know, but, yeah. but, but it could, could fully be that it, it would be just as effective. I forget who ran the study, but there was a study in like maybe the last year or two where it was showing like less rest is fine as long as you do more volume. And do you remember that? Yeah. I forget who, who made that study, but... Um, it was a mass review that I remember that. Yeah. And it was kind of like, okay, so I could make the workout suck more by adding more volume if it's also sucking more because there's less rest. And to me, it was like, like why would you choose to do that? And um, again, it's been a little while since I've looked at that study, but I just remember saying it was like, yeah, like the low rest periods, because they were saying in, I guess you could, in theory, still complete the workout a little faster, right? Yeah. Like if you're going to like literally 45 second rest period, instead of like three or four minutes, then even if you added some volume, it could probably still be done faster. But yeah. to me, I'm like, okay, so I can get the same results if I am more leisurely with it and rest longer. And I can do less overall work. I, I don't know. I, I just, there are very few times where I would actually say I'd rather do more volume and less rest. If again, assuming the results were the same. Yeah. I mean, uh, th there is sometimes a sweet spot with time efficiency and also um, just like how effortful it is. Cause like we actually talked about it, that you like to do even things like leg presses, uh, rest pause style. Mm -hmm. Cause yeah. you're done with it in like, you know, a minute and a half or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, honestly, I would rather complete three sets <laughs> in, in 10 minutes. Cause like, yeah, that's one minute, but it like, it literally the amount of suffering I accumulate in that one minute that will like traumatize me for the next couple of days. <laughs> yeah. So I would rather take longer. So well, I think the issue is when you do that, Abel, you don't train with enough intent. And if you did, it wouldn't seem that bad. Yeah, that's true. That's true too. Uh, last point on that I want to say is one of the reasons that I think you have to be careful with like only looking at studies is it's like, I remember seeing those drop set studies and it showed that the results were basically the same compared to three straight sets. And excuse me. And so it's like, okay, so we have all of this evidence now. Volume is the primary driver, right? Volume is the most important thing. If we equate for volume, it's the same. Then you do a drop set where you're resting way less time and dropping the weight. So you like almost by definition have to be doing less volume. Um, assuming again, if like, I don't know how long, I mean, how short you're resting, but like in short, you're dropping the weight and usually you get less reps, right? I mean, unless you're really like resting like a full minute, if you're actually going directly afterwards, the volume's going to be less. And I think at least in one of the studies I looked at the volume was like noticeably less. And they're saying you got the same results. So is that because it was like still three sets kind of to failure? I, I just think like that's just one of the one of the times I started questioning the whole like exact volume paradigm. Um, because like there there is a theoretical situation where you could drop the weight so much that the volume load is the same. But in general, I think that it's I don't know. Like I, I just think that it doesn't always add up. I tend to look at number of hard sets as like overall, like how I gauge volume. Um, but I, there's just so many studies where it's like, they did this variable, they did this variable. And like the results were basically the same. I know we talked about that before with like research reviews and it's like 80% of the articles. It's like, well, we either don't have enough evidence or 
it didn't make that much of a difference. And it's not to say that like, we shouldn't continue to have more research. It's just like, you're looking at these periods of like eight to 12 weeks on beginner to intermediate uh, lifters in a lab that's run by university students. It's kind of like, all right, like how much can we really conclude from all that, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, um, I think Jeff Nippert made a really good uh, point in, in a po- recent podcast with Eric and, and Omar Iron Culture, where he said that like, it would be so good if at least we could have videos from these studies to like really see what they did. You know, like that, that would be so useful, seriously. Like how many of these debates we could stop having about like how hard they were training, like mm-hmm. how, how comparable is the protocol to what we are doing in real life? Like that would change so much. So that would actually be a great idea. I, I didn't really think about that. But yeah, I mean, if you just had like the next Brad Schoenfeld volume study or whatever that is put out, just have some sets recorded, you know, or really they to try to make it not biased that they record, I guess, everything. So they didn't just say, Hey, let's like record the hardest working person. But I think that would be valuable. Yeah. I, I would love, I actually thought of like doing a video where I'm trying to replicate one of those workouts. Yeah. Uh, it would be just kind of like a pain in the ass. Cause like I would need someone to like film me in the gym and whatever. And then if, if I go from the squat to the leg press and it's taken, then the whole thing is screwed. So yeah, I thought about <laughs> that too, actually of like, I just, <laughs> I have no interest in doing it. Like, cause like when, when somebody like Lyle say like, it's impossible. I'm like, well, it's probably not literally impossible, but it would be like really insufferable and not something that like, I have any desire to like prove somebody on because even if it was possible, it doesn't mean like, you're actually doing that. And I think they were doing this like three times a week for like weeks on end, like maybe yeah. you do it once, but after that, you know. Yeah. Ju- just to see, just to experience it, like how much the way, like, you know what you're normally can leg press for a set of 12. Mm-hmm. Just, just to see like, okay, after you did four, like five sets of squats with like 90 minutes rest in between, then you rest 90 minutes and go over to the leg press. Like what weight will you have to use for the first set of leg presses to get 12 like that would be probably like a staggeringly big difference to begin yeah. with. And then where would you be at the fifth set to still be in that eight to 12 rep range? So that <laughs> yeah, just, no, just to experience it. Like 40% of your normal weight or something like that. So at best. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. So I think that was everything on my end. Um, any closing thoughts or do you feel like we covered everything pretty well? Yeah, I think, I think that was pretty, pretty solid and rounded. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, Appreciate you sending in the questions. Uh, if you want to have Abel or myself answer them, you can post down below or send them on Instagram. And I, I'd say we're, we've been pretty good about getting to almost all the questions. So feel free to continue sending them. And yeah. Abel, where can people find your stuff? Uh, yeah, thanks for asking. So SSD Able on YouTube. And now finally, SSDable.com. Oh, you got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got it finally. Nice. All right, man. I'll have links to that below. Thanks.